It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Sunday, June 12th, 2022. I'm Jared Halpern. The Supreme Court is trying to finish a term amid frightening security threats and an unprecedented leak. I think this bottleneck at the end definitely has to do with Dobbs. But yeah, I've never seen it this backed up this far into June. I'm Jessica Rosenthal. The media landscape may be changing again as Spanish language news gets a new focus from people on both sides of the political aisle with one new network, Americano, focused on conservative Latinos. We know for a fact now that whoever wins a Hispanic vote is going to win elections for a long time. And uh, we need to make sure that Hispanics vote Republican. This is the Fox News Rundown from Washington. Shortly after 1 o'clock in the morning Wednesday, a 26-year-old man from California was arrested near Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh's home. Police say Nicholas John Roski had a Glock 17, ammunition, a knife, pepper spray, a hammer, zip ties and duct tape, a crowbar and hiking boots with padding on the soles. Roski called 911 himself. He told dispatch she was suicidal and came to Maryland to kill a Supreme Court justice. Prosecutors say Roski told investigators he was upset about the leak of a draft opinion potentially overturning Roe v. Wade and about the school shooting in Uvalde, Texas. He is now facing charges of attempted murder of a Supreme Court justice. Security threats against court members, frequent protests outside their homes and the court, plus that draft opinion leaked weeks ago indicating a majority of justices are prepared to set aside long-standing abortion rights, has thrown this term into unprecedented territory. And it seems to be having an impact on the court's work. As Fox News legal affairs correspondent and Fox News at Night anchor Shannon Bream discussed with me this week. The court in recent years has taken you know, criticism for hearing fewer cases. I think this bottleneck at the end definitely has to do with Dobbs, the abortion decision that we're waiting on and trying to get the pieces of that put together. Um, But yeah, I've never seen it this backed up this far into June. Dobbs is certainly that big case. And I think, you know, those of us that have covered the court, "Ah, you know, that's going to come the last day because these cases Mm -hmm. do. Um, But there are others. I mean, this New York gun case, Right. Um, the coach uh, who, who wanted mm-hmm. to pray at the 50 yard line. Um, I think there's public funding for, for religious schools. So there are cases right. that they have heard months ago that are still not resolved. Is it because they're complicated? Is it because does the leak of, of the Dobbs opinion? Uh, I mean, I almost, there's been reporting yeah, that, like, um, you know, there's a lot of mistrust, distrust in the court now. Is any of that true? You know, I, I got to think that there is some of that. And of course, the justices, you know them, doesn't matter how diametrically they are opposed on issues. They generally are very protective of each other and of the court. Yeah. And I hate that this leak now makes them all look at each other and their clerks with suspicion. Um, and Justice Thomas has spoken publicly about that and the problems it creates for the court. And I've heard from some of the other justices, too, that 
you know, it, it definitely impacts um, the way that people are working. And so the thought had been, you know, we all kind of watch the court and try to guess what they're doing, that maybe they would kind of put everything else on the back burner so they could get Dobbs and get it out because there are those who are very worried for the justices and their safety. Um, you know, nothing is final until those votes are locked mm-hmm. in that issue uh, or that opinion is issued from the court. So until then, you know, unfortunately there are crazy people in this world. You take yeah. one person off the court and it changes votes. It changes things. So there's been a lot of external pressure I know on them to get Dobbs out. So that kind of was my thinking, all right, they've really put all their efforts and their work on getting that massive landmark opinion done. And so these other smaller cases have kind of had to be da- tabled in the meantime, but we still don't have Dobbs. So I don't know if any of that makes sense. And, you know, part of that, too, you know, you, because the chief justice sort of put out a statement initially that's like, this isn't going to change the way that we right. operate. So mm-hmm. if they rush Dobbs, does that send maybe the wrong message that the court wants to send? And I don't want to say rush is in like they, they rush it out. But if they mm-hmm. kind of set everything Expedite else aside, it. you know what I right. mean? And release that maybe earlier than maybe they had even thought they would. Is that something that, that, that they would be mindful of? Yeah, I think that was a very important part of his statement. You know, he is a very, very careful, um, thoughtful, circumspect guy. I mean, he's the chief justice. This is he's running this court and running this institution. And he's very legacy guy. He's always thinking about the legacy. Exactly. Exactly. And of his own, I think, is the chief justice. And those things go hand in hand. So I, I think we all noted that wording when he put out that statement saying this won't affect us. And I think that meant we're going to handle Dobbs like we would in any other time. But knowing that there are colleagues of yours potentially who are in danger, maybe you guys want to work together <laughs> and try to get this thing done. But my understanding is there was not any expediting of the dissents. Because remember, when they put out that opinion, which we know that majority opinion had at least five votes when it was circulated in February, um, you know, the, the dissents have plenty of time to go through, make their points. I imagine we may have more than one and they will be full-throated mm-hmm. if that Alito opinion holds. Um, So with that in mind, um, I would think that the dissents would have hurried up, but they didn't. My understanding from inside the court is that the dissents were not expedited. There was no push to get them done any earlier. And they came just about on the schedule that you would have expected absent the leak. And the opinion is contingent on the dissents. So they're not Mm going to put anything out until it's all done. Yeah, I mean, there are some really unconventional things they could do, like put out an opinion saying this is the majority opinion of the court for the okay. safety of you know the justices and locking in those votes and saying any dissents, concurrences, anything else to follow will come when they're ready. I've never seen that done before, but there were people calling for that, saying that mm-hmm. this is an option to get that decision out and you know uh, hopefully protect those who may potentially be in danger. I don't think they have any intention of doing any of that. I think it's going to proceed as a late June decision like we would have expected anyway. But yeah, in the meantime, these other 29 cases or or the other 28 are kind of caught in the jumble as we wait. And it's you talk about the security and we know what happened this week with this gunman um, who was outside of Kavanaugh's home and has been arrested and charged now and, and locked up. You know, you and I live in this area. It's not uncommon to see Supreme Court justices. They mm-hmm. kind of go about they They have a little bit more anonymity than other people in the federal government. Um, their their arguments aren't on TV. And, and most of what the court does doesn't get a whole lot of attention. This is a brand new dynamic. Um, mm-hmm. What impact does that have? And not just on the, the justices, but potentially 
the, their staffs, the, the, these clerks, right, mm-hmm. who have come under intense scrutiny because there's a thought that perhaps it was a clerk that leaked this, uh, this right. draft opinion. Right. Which, you know, at first blush, that would make the most sense. But they are there's so many theories about exactly what's going on. But yeah, to your and that's point what about I meant to do to go down that hole. But I mean, there's like, well, and, you know, that's I, part I, of I mean, the there's sticking no precedent point. for this. There, exactly. And that's part of the sticking point about the difference between the Senate passed bill, which was like, get them extra security, get it now. Yeah. And the House, which where they're talking about, do we extend it also to the clerks who may be caught up in this and feel like they're not safe? So they're still fighting over that. And apparently the House is going away and they're not going to vote on it, which this no. is your specialty. So I defer to you. But it sounds like, you know, what Speaker Pelosi said basically is they have security. No one's going to get harmed over the weekend while we wait and figure this thing out. And we certainly hope that is the case for any clerk, any, you know, loved one of a of a justice, you know, how far do you extend this security perimeter? I don't know. Also, like a lot of them don't live in gated areas. Do they now sell their homes and move? Well, and because I, I know that th- I mean, there are conversations that, that take on the work that they have to do. Right. Because, because most of them have relocated to other areas. Um, they're staying in other places. Yeah. This impacts their families too. They have kids and they have other obligations and they have people they love who um, worry for, you know, they worry for their safety. So it goes a lot of different directions and all of it comes back to that leak, which whoever made that decision, I'm not sure that they could have understood just how earth shattering it, it would be. Maybe they did. What are you hearing about that investigation? I know the marshal of the court has been tasked with uh, leading this investigation, though that's not Really, the work of, of generally the marshal is mm-hmm. just kind of in charge of security, right? This is a right. pretty robust investigation. Is Are there right. other agencies involved? Well, not yet. You know, I, I, as far as I know, because the last yeah. we heard, the chief wanted this handled internally by the marshal who there handles internal um, issues at the court. Um, you know, DOJ has been saying we haven't been asked whether that's changed or not, certainly not to anything I've been notified of. Um, but you got to remember, if we're talking about clerks, they'll be done in July. You'll get a new round of clerks. So there's this question of the ones who, you know, are being asked for cell phone records or for affidavits. Do they just wait this out because, you know, the court's jurisdiction over them, they won't be employees anymore in July. Mm-hmm. They'll move on to, uh, you know, most of them big bonuses, starting with big law firms yeah. and going on with their legal careers. Um, but you and I both, as we've touched on, know this chief is so worried about the reputation of the court and the legacy of the court that I have to believe he is going to get to the bottom of this. Um, we can't see everything that's happening right now. We don't know everything that's happening right now, but I think it is probably a personal mission for him at this point to identify someone to punish accordingly or hold accountable accordingly and move on. Would you anticipate any of that being public? I actually do only because I think the chief will feel it's necessary to um, restore confidence in the institution and for even the justices to know that they can trust each other um, unless one of them is attached to this, which I highly doubt, but nothing's impossible at this point. Um, I I think he's going to want to, for the public's confidence in the court and for the internal workings there to say, we actually found some answers and we tied up this case and there are no loose ends. What are you hearing about the the concern? I mean, do justices feel threatened? Is this a a real concern that they've I mean, as I kind of was talking about earlier, they Mm -hmm. don't kind of have a high profile like other government officials. Right. Certainly not. like. Well, here's just to give you an example. Um, 
I was a few years ago walking around over at the court a day we had coverage there and there mm-hmm. were all these school groups as you know those times of year when they're here in the spring yep. and they're visiting we're and they have tour year, guides yeah. and they're yeah and I always think it's fun to meet people from around the country and really around the world who are down there and the chief was coming back from lunch with one other person and walking and as the tour guide is saying this is the supreme court and there are nine justices and this is what they do and here's how it's important the chief walks right past their group <laughs> And no one not knows. one person recognizes <laughs> him. So um, they do have kind of a unique place. And I know that there are several of them, current and former, who did not like to have 24-hour security. They weren't comfortable. They felt like it wasn't necessary. They wanted to live their lives. They didn't want their kids to be fettered with that. And they wanted to go about their business. So some of them would you know, have security more than others, some lesser. It was really within their purview. Well, now forget it. I mean, they, it's 24-7. Mm-hmm. And I do think that there is concern. I think that these justices know, you know, conceptually at any point, because you do this job, there could be those crazies out there who, whether you're on the left or the right, want to take you out, but it's become much more real for them now. And so many of them are not living in their homes. Um, They have relocated. They are um, moving around and, and yet these protests continue. We know they're sort of on a nightly basis. They rotate to the different justices homes. And I really thought, you know, Wednesday night after this guy is arrested and admits he was there to kill Justice Kavanaugh, they still went ahead and held their Wednesday night, um, you know, this group that says we're peacefully protesting, but the ones who, you know, different groups have put addresses out there and that has enabled people to come right to where these justices are. I don't think that you can say, oh, we're going to publish addresses, but we're going to peacefully protest and we have no culpability and any threats to these justices. I'm not sure people buy that whole um, line of reasoning. Uh, if you're putting the addresses out there, um, you have to think that through. I guess I'll just finish with this. The court, yes or no, will be done by the end of this month. Who I don't know. I, I feel like they're <laughs> going to bleed into a little bit of July. I think you and I both probably think that, um, you know, Bill Mears, our amazing Supreme Court producer yes, over at Fox, he and I were looking over, he is the best of the best. He and I were looking over dates from last year and how many days they added and how far they went. They have gone into July many times. Well, I say many times. They have gone into July sometimes since I've been covering the court. Technically, they're supposed to finish the end of June. Technically, the last date they have on their calendar is June 27th. I think that's really going to be pushing it. I think we definitely push into that week, maybe get into the 1st of July. So um, I know, as we said, we're going to get two big days of opinions next week. Mm -hmm. Um, We'll see. I don't know if they get done by June 27th. I doubt it. Hopefully you get some rest uh, this summer as well after uh, all of this uh, uh, term is over. Shannon, always appreciate our chats. Thanks so much. Well, thank you, Jerry. Great to be with you. Hi, everybody. It's Brian Kilmeade. I want you to join me weekdays at 9 a.m. East as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and, of course, what you think. Listen live or get the podcast now at briankilmeadeshow.com. After the 2020 election, there was one narrative that emerged about Latino voters. They largely went for President Biden, but more voted for President Trump than had previously voted Republican. The Democratic data firm Catalyst found there was about an eight-point swing toward the GOP in that election. 
Cue the multiple subsequent articles that emerged questioning if Democrats had a Latino problem. Polling more recently suggests Hispanic voters are more open to conservative messaging. A Marist poll found in April that Hispanic voters favored Republicans ahead of midterms by 13 points over Democrats. Now, some Democrats are putting money into an effort to win back some of those voters. The Latino media network is new, made up of 18 radio stations in 10 media markets and headed by Jess Morales Roquetto, a former Hillary for America and AFL-CIO employee, and Stephanie Valencia, a former Obama White House staffer. It's partially funded by Lake Star Finance, which is associated with Soros Fund Management. Yes, as in George Soros. Not to be outdone, conservatives are launching their own effort in a bit more of a grassroots way. One of the, one of the biggest things was after the 2016 election um, that we realized you know, we, we can move the needle if we're just aggressive enough and get our message out there. Ivan Garcia Hidalgo has been a Republican campaign surrogate for Spanish language media and was a chair for the Hispanic Leadership Council PAC. Even though over 90 percent of all the coverage that the media was giving Trump was negative, we were still able to get through. And, and you know, we improved on the numbers that, you know, the dismal numbers that Romney got right at 27 percent. So I said, you know, we need rush. We need something. Um, you know, talking to different folks and, and, and friends within the party and that are, that are media surrogates, they said, yeah, we need Spanish rush. And uh, and that, that became kind of an ongoing joke. And I, I, I kind of got baptized as Spanish rush. And because I used to do uh, I, I was a contributor for CNN all during the uh, primaries and, and general in the 1516 cycle. And, you know, they, they stack the table, as you know, they put, you know, a Democrat, a uh, NGO, an academic, the host, and they're all liberals. Right. And, and they try and come across as independents and and they put you all by yourself and they try and shut you up and don't let you talk. And, you know, I have a pretty loud voice and I'm a pretty aggressive guy. So I just talk <laughs> over everybody and don't let them speak. And, you know, and, and, and that strategy ended up working because we were able to move the needle some. So. You know, that, that ended up being the mission is how do we get something? And then, you know, looking at all the opportunities or, or avenues that we could take, you know, we said, oh, my God, to get a radio show. OK, that's going to cost X amount of dollars and get it syndicated an hour every day. You know, how are we going to fund this and, and so forth? And we looked at different opportunities and eventually I was able to land a show on TV, even though everybody said, you know, I've been forget about it. It's never going to happen. The party told me, don't don't even waste your time. We can't help you. Um, you know, it was it was at that point that I said, you know what? It's never going to happen because nobody's ever, you know, just done it. And it's not going to take, you know, right. help from party or from donors or from anybody. It's just going to take somebody to sit there and say, I'm just going to do it no matter what. You're on Sirius XM now, right? Is that yeah, the launch so of Americanos? That's, that, yeah. So that's what we did. I launched the podcast at that point. Right. And I started building this thing together. And and I said, you know what? Let, let's just go. You know, podcast is probably the way to go. You know, and I started grabbing other folks because Apple did something that they revamped their platform to create channels. So I created Americano TV channel and I started grabbing other talent uh-huh. and saying, you guys have a podcast. You have a podcast. You have a podcast. You have a podcast. Let's get together. Let's get together. And sort of bringing in everybody in under one umbrella to launch Americano TV on Apple. And something happened that was very curious is uh, I'm driving down 
the road with with my wife and we're clearing out all the save stations the favorite stations on on, on one of our cars that we were, we were actually trading in and i ran into the sirius xm station 153 um that i had reached out to right after the election when i originally wanted to do this and that station was ra- running just radio marti programming and i talked to the you know the owner of the station i said you know, how can I get a show on with you? And he goes, ah, it's impossible. I, I, you know, don't, he's just running it automatically. So I put it on and you're still running the same programming. And I was like, holy crap. So I picked up the phone, called him up and I said, oh, no, it's been five years. You're still running the same stuff. Let's do something. You know, now I have an entire grid. I have 18 shows. And he's like, are you serious? And I said, yeah. So that, that's how, that's how we launched on Sirius XM. Let's talk about the Latino vote. Because yep. there is some polling out there. It does, it does suggest some more Latinos are moving away from Democrats, but it's not like suddenly a majority of Latinos are Republicans or anything right now. In fact, I think you guys commissioned, Americano commissioned one of the latest polls, but there was even an NPR Marist poll in April. It found Latinos right now prefer Republicans over Democrats 52 to 39 yep. percent. I haven't seen numbers quite like that. that. That's a pretty big swing. I mean, what do you make of the polling you're seeing? Yeah, absolutely. Look, uh, you know, we ran we ran by the largest poll in, in, in history, right? Fifteen hundred Hispanic registered voters. And, you know, one of the things that we saw was is very encouraging, but it's not, you know, victory. Right. Is Hispanics are leaving the Democratic Party in droves, in absolute droves, but they're not going Republican. They're they're identifying as independent. Right. So it's really a swing vote. And I think we have an opportunity to bring them home. We really do. We just have to work. We got to get our message out. And something I've always said is the only reason we don't have 70 percent of Hispanics voting Republican every single year is because we don't talk to them. There, there was a headline about how there's no such thing as the Latino vote. And I think for, you know, for many of us, you know, for example, we associate like Florida Cubans with maybe more conservative voting records and maybe like Northern Triangle or Mexican migrants in California with Democrats. Do, do those nationalities matter when those folks come to America and and vote I mean, when they when they get the the ability to vote or if they get the ability to vote, how much are they shaped by where they came from? I imagine quite a bit. Yeah, absolutely. Look, you know, there, there's there's a couple of things and different dynamics, right, that are, that are involved in this. So when you look at the Cuban community specifically, you know, they lost their country, right? They fled their country. The, Every day people try and flee, risk their life somehow, either, you know, floating on some kind of device to try and get to the U.S., right? Uh, now we're seeing a lot of them actually coming in through the southern so the, through the southern border because um, they've been able to somehow get out of Cuba and, and into another another island and, and island hop to get to Mexico. But, um, you know, obviously they, 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 they get it. They understand. So these are people that are not fleeing communism and, you know, dictatorships. They're fleeing corruption. An absolute chaos, right? They're fleeing corruption. They're fleeing, you know, violence from gangs like MS-13. They have cartel problems. You know, all that situation is real. So they want to get out of there because, you know, they they need to eat. They need to work. They need to somehow take care of their family. So they want to risk everything, including their lives and the lives of their children, to walk, you know, over a thousand kilometers that is plagued with violence, crime. Women and young girls have to take birth control pills because they're going to be raped multiple times throughout that trek. It's horrendous. You know, many of them will be taken away and put into in the, in the sex trafficking rings. The men that can't pay the 
coyotes in order to get them across. They got to go work for the cartels for a period of time and work off that debt in order to get to the border. I mean, it is a horrendous, horrendous experience that people just don't talk about. Democrats don't want to talk about it because it's not sexy. It's not attractive and it's not going to make everybody feel good. Right. But that's a reality of what's happening. These people, when they get to the United States, they're the poorest of poor. You know, some of them or the majority of them might not even be able to speak or write in their own language. So they, they come here to the number one economy. And how are they going to compete? They're not prepared to compete in the number one economy of the world. Right. And second of all, if they're sleeping on dirt, they have to dig a hole to use the bathroom. Right. They show up here and the Democrats say, hey, you know what? Let me get you, you know, WIC. Let, yeah, you're pregnant. Great. Let me give you a WIC. Let me get you wet Medicaid. Let me find a way to get you Section 8, uh, you know, food stamps, all that stuff. They're like, wow, this really is the American dream. You just show up and they give you everything. And then, the, and then they're told, you know, Democrats are responsible for this. Republicans are the racist guys that don't want you to have anything and they want to throw you out and have you die. So that, that's, you know, so it's a big problem. So, yes. And, and if you go... Narrative. And if you go to South America, right, nobody can walk from South America. So you got to fly. Right. So how, how are you going to fly into the U.S.? You got to get a visa. So we know exactly who these people are. And then we take the risk of giving them a, a tourist visa to come in. Right. And we say, OK, you know, they should come in and be a tourist and leave. But there is a large number of visa overstays. Right. People, they just stay. But, you know. But the way the government mitigates that is, well, if they happen to stay, at least they're qualified to compete, right? Because most of these people have college degrees or graduate degrees or whatever, right? Um, so that's that's just something that that, that 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 happens with the immigration process. So yeah, all those guys that all all those people that come from South America are much more qualified, much more intelligent, and they're going to vote against Marx's you know doctrine. You know, they've read about it, they've studied it, they've seen it firsthand. I mean, you look at you know. You look at everything that's going on in Latin America, and you have to go back to 1989 to the fall of, of, of the Soviet Union, right? The Soviet Union stops funding, you know, all, all these all these governments and, and unions and organizations all over Latin America, including Cuba. You know, so all of a sudden you figure, okay, you know, Marxism is dead around the world. The Soviet Union can't isn't going to fund it. But no, something happens. Something called the Sao Paulo Forum. I don't know if you've heard about that. Foro Sao Paulo where all these countries and leaders around Latin America get together and they say, what do we do, guys? You know, what do we do? So the enemy, you know, the, the, the enemy of my enemy is my friend, right? So who is the enemy of governments and, and, and established, you know, society? The cartels, because the cartels obviously don't want regular, you know, governments operating and working because they can't operate freely. So the cartels who have unlimited amount of cash, start funding all these left-wing organizations all over Latin America. And, you know, we get distracted with wars all over the place and forget about our backyard. And you look what's happening right now. I mean, you know, Argentina is run again by the Christians, by, by socialism. You see uh, Lula right now in Brazil leading, you know, leading uh, Bolsonaro right now for re-election, right? Uh, there's time, but he's still leading by more than 10 points. So he would come back in. You know, you, you see Colombia, the crown jewel, you know, who was always, you know, our, our most favorite or, or, or loyal, you know, ally in the region, right, is about to collapse. Chile collapsed. Peru, another communist. 
It's a disaster. It's a disaster. Let me ask you. Let me ask you. I, I, I knew an undocumented woman in California in 2019. She was from Guatemala. And when the yeah. 2020 election was heating up, I asked her if she was paying attention to it all. And she said she didn't really like anybody, maybe Bernie. And then she said, or Trump, as long as he doesn't deport me. And then she laughed. And I asked her, wait, tell me more about that. Like, are you serious? Would, are you really, like, in favor of President Trump? Or, and she, she shrugged and she said, well, the economy is good. And to your point, you know, that that is like a, a driving reason for why so many people come here. But I pressed her further and she said, you know, I'm, I'm Catholic. I'm opposed to abortion. Many of my friends and family feel that way. And when you combine things like the economy and um, and, and pro-life uh, values, there are plenty of like sort of untapped people for your market. Yeah, absolutely. Look, you know, it's, um, you know, I, I wrote an op-ed years ago is, um, you know, uh, Hispanics are conservatives, just don't tell the Democrats, right? And I, you know, laid out, you know, every single every single point item by item. And, and Hispanics are, are conservative, um, you know, and, and I think, you know, my, my biggest driver going back to why, why it happened, why we're here and why we're going forward is because nobody, we couldn't get our message out there. When you go out to CNN, Univision, Telemundo, they filter you. They try and shut you up. They don't let you speak. So you can never really get your message. And I said, you know, if we could only get our message out to the Hispanic community, we would landslide this country. We would be able to save America and uh, and, and throw Democrats and socialism out once and for all. Because we know for a fact now that whoever wins a Hispanic vote is going is to win elections for a long time. And uh, we need to make sure that Hispanics vote Republican. That's 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 the bottom line. And that's how we're going to do it. So we launched Americano. And you know what? We, we know that there are tremendous amounts of people listening to us all over the place. Everywhere I go and travel, you know, I'm wearing my Americano media T-shirt and uh, and people are like, oh, yeah, thumbs up, you know. And, and I ask them, oh, you know who you are? And they're like, yeah, I listen to it every day. And, you know, it's just it's you know, it's so awesome to hear that kind of feedback in different parts of the country when you're like, wow, we have not even advertised. We have not spent a single dollar in advertising that we exist, you know, and but once we go to television, we will. We're going to blow this up and hopefully get a lot of earned media as well and really let everybody know, hey, you know, here's an option. This is reality. Now we can talk to our community, get our message across, because if we stick to the issues, we're going to win every single time, you know, and in our poll that we ran 1500 registered voters, right? Hispanics, you know, they were asked an open ended question. If the election were tomorrow, who would you vote for? The number one result was Donald Trump. If you succeed and if what you're talking about sort of resonates, if, if more Latinos sort of start moving toward conservatives or, or maybe even the Republican Party, um, does that change the immigration debate? Does that change the way politicians and our lawmakers talk about immigration reform? I think so, because, look, uh, legal Hispanics, which are the only ones that can vote and should vote, right, um, are against illegal immigration. We're, we're against illegal immigration. I think immigration should be done in an orderly and legal fashion. Um, and it should be merit-based, right? Look at Australia, look at Canada. They actively recruit people. But you got to have a graduate degree. you got to have, you know, a year's reserve in cash. You know, you got to have all these qualifications. We should be no different. Uh, we should not be forced by anybody to go take the world's problems. You know, uh, what Donald Trump's policies did made America strong, made America safe, and made our economy the most robust in over 50 years with the lowest unemployment numbers in history. 
you know, for Hispanics, Blacks, women, Asians, everybody, you know, so that's that's what happens when you have controlled immigration. Look at this. Look at the chaos that happens that is happening right now at the border. It is unstabilizing. It is a disaster. I think that we got to clean this up. And the only way to start is by locking down the border, finishing the wall and putting in the right policies that President Trump had. And then we can start having a conversation on how we need to clean this up. But it has to be followed by, you know, deporting every single criminal that's in here, starting with MS-13 and the other gangs. Ivan Garcia Hidalgo, founder of Americano Media. Thank you so much for joining us. I appreciate it. Thank you. That will do it for this week's Fox News Rundown from Washington. Next week, two more hearings for the House Committee investigating last year's Capitol riot. As they present testimony and documents, members say show former President Trump was at the center of a conspiracy to overturn the 2020 election. We'll recap what's said. And Senate negotiators are narrowing in on gun legislation, they say, and could have proposals expanding mental health and background checks in a matter of days. Until then, stay safe, stay healthy, and stay in touch with those you care about. For our entire team at Fox News Radio, thank you for listening. I'm Jared Halpern from Washington. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a -a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.